Thank you all for tuning in to the Your Edge podcast. I'm Therese Van Ryan, Senior Director of External Communications at Zebra Technologies, and I'm very excited about today's conversation because we're talking to Sean Givigan, who is the Head of Global Strategy and Technology Partnerships for Android Enterprise at Google. Also joining us is Drew Ellers, Zebra's Global Futurist and Head of Global Partners. Both of these gentlemen have been entrenched in some very cool innovation happening around enterprise mobility technologies, the cloud, and of course, AI. And their teams have been working together to come up with new ways of working. So let's dive right in because I have a lot of questions for you both today. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. You bet. You know, we've all been in tech a long time and we know how quickly excitement can build around bleeding edge technologies. I'd like to talk about AI, the cloud, and other newer technologies in a minute, but I think it's important that we take the time to appreciate the technologies that we've come to take for granted. Things like mobile computers and wearables that at one time were hyped, but now give us stability. I know there are countless stories of frontline workers who celebrate the day they were given Android mobile computers to help guide them through their day or even automate some of their tasks whether through barcode scans or RFID tag reads. And I feel like in the last few years, we've seen mobile computers really become a key exchange point for edge intelligence, simultaneously capturing insights from workers at the edge and providing guidance to those workers. So with this trend toward the digitalization of business, I would imagine that continuous collaborative innovation is going to need to occur indefinitely between companies like Google and Zebra to ensure these mobile computers and wearables provide the support we've all become accustomed to. Would you agree? You know, I think the big thing for me is that mobile is still seen as this island, right? And you sort of alluded to this. It's the thing that you use in your pocket. It's the thing that's on your belt. And that can drive a lot of value into the organization. But those of us that are still thinking about it that way really are missing the opportunity and sort of a lot of the advancements that Zebra and Google have brought to market together. I mean, look at the work that Zebra has done around Desktop Connect that provides developers the ability to go through and take an experience that's not just the mobile workflow, but also introduce new capabilities that can provide that large screen, desktop, keyboard, and mouse-driven experience directly from that Android device. So in a use case like healthcare, I can be at someone's bedside and then do heavy data entry you know, directly from a large screen with a keyboard and go back again and keep that continuity. And that's really a very different computing model than what we were thinking about even five years ago when mobile and desktop were very discrete things. And certainly I think the collaborative innovation aspect of your question ends up being critical. As Zebra has introduced those new features, you know, like a desktop connect as an example, you've seen Android and Google expand its developer toy. So things like Jetpack Compose, which allows developers to build dynamic, uh, more responsive UI with less code, makes it easier for a developer to take that mobile experience and apply it into more of a desktop form factor. Um, if you look at our large screen quality guidelines, you know, we're explicitly calling out things like resizable windows and keyboard and mouse support in order to guide developers toward the types of experiences that Zebra brings to market. So 
ultimately collaboration is definitely the name of the game. And we've been super appreciative of all the work Zebra has done here. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, I think that as you look at the collaboration that our companies have together over, you know, the last decade plus, uh, I think that, you know, the, the, I'd almost call it a marriage has been wonderful in, in bliss, right? And uh, the honeymoon stage has not ended. And I think that the, uh, the continued collaboration between the two companies continues to, one, um, be less focused on the technology and, and the operating system, but really how that marriage really brings out outcomes for, for those different workflows. And I think that, you know, as we have gotten used to collaborating together, we are very intimate about how do we drive the outcomes that are, are possible for each environment, just as Sean had talked about within healthcare, having patient care is kind of a focus versus, you know, the technology and how do, how do we increase patient care? How do we have that bedside manner so that the doctor, the nurse, the caregiver has the intelligence at their fingertips in whatever modality it is, whether it's a, you know, a small form factor such as a, you know, a mobile computer or you've got a tablet modality that's, that's more useful for that uh, workflow. And I think those are the type of experiences that we're driving in all the key verticals that we operate in today, whether it's a retail setting in the front of the store, whether it's in supply chain to get things out on a shipping dock, or whether it's that healthcare provider that you're going to interject with, with better care for that patient. Great. Thank you both. Sean, do you find your team is having to lean into AI more than usual to be able to deliver certain mobility capabilities to enterprise customers? Uh, I don't know that I'd call it more than usual. I think, you know, Google's been very big on around the investments of AI, and certainly we've looked to AI as a tool in the tool belt, if you will, to solve particular business challenges that consumers and enterprise users have alike. So let's use something like battery life as an example. You know, back in 2018, we collaborated with DeepMind, which is Google's core AI research team, to improve things like battery management with the introduction of adaptive batteries. So that was using machine learning to understand things like consumption uh, of applications, shut down those applications that are in the background that haven't been touched for a while. Um, and adjusting things like brightness based on user habits. Now, for administrators, don't worry. There's ways to exempt applications from battery optimization where that's really required. But the point here is, is that you know AI is is definitely a core tool in the tool belt. Um, if you look at a you know an area like security, uh, most famously, we've been using AI to protect against mobile malware threats. Many of your listeners are probably familiar with Google Pi Protect where we're using machine learning to detect suspicious applications and ensure that they're taken off the Play Store or off of users' devices. And we scan you know, well over a billion applications to you know, make sure that we're keeping users of all kinds safe. And most recently, with phishing attacks on the rise, we've brought machine learning capabilities to Android messages by Google, or, sorry, to messages by Google, uh, to proactively detect 1.5 billion spam phishing and scam messages every month. And there we're using machine learning to look for known patterns um, and either divert those bad messages into the spam folder or warn you um, if the tools noticed something suspicious. Um, and certainly, look, you know, we're seeing partners also rely on machine learning to help companies automate tasks. And, you know, we've been building corresponding developer tool sets um, to do things like digitize paper forms, recognize handwriting, or translate a foreign language. Um, we really want to make that easier for developers. 
um, and enterprises alike. Um, so tools such like MLKit allow you to do some of those common machine learning kind of computer vision type tasks, if you will, um, without necessarily needing to be an ML expert. Um, and that's why I think the collaboration with hardware vendors is so important. We really do want to make sure that devices are performant because the need and the demand for AI and other complex computing tasks is only going to grow. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about Android Enterprise's new partner program. I know Google has engaged with companies like Zebra over the years to ensure innovation efforts in Android can effectively reach the customer. Zebra serves. So why did you feel it was necessary now to put some more structure around those relationships? Yeah, so I think it's good to start with a little bit of history. Um, we Before, we had one partner program, and that was Android Enterprise Recommended. And its goal was to help customers understand which solutions were enterprise grade. But that created some confusion because it kind of lumped products and companies into one big bucket. And so if you weren't a product company, let's assume you're a Zebra reseller or a distributor, there wasn't really a great way to recognize those types of partners. Um, and likewise, there, there's some folks that you know no, weren't necessarily delivering the go-to-market and support uh, level of expertise, even though the products themselves were performant. So we've split the program in two. Uh, Android Enterprise Recommended remains really as a program to help enterprises understand whether or not the products they're buying meet the elevated set of technical criteria around things like device performance or mobility management feature sets, et cetera. Um, and the enterprise, uh, Android Enterprise Partner Program is really there to help enterprises understand whether the partners that they're working with um, are well-trained on Android and Android Enterprise, things like that. Um, so it's really great to see Zebra, right? Zebra's absolutely stepped up, not only delivering numerous Android Enterprise recommended products to market, but also meeting the elevated criteria to be an Android Enterprise gold partner as well. Um, so really want to recognize Zebra for, for the hard work and dedication there. Yeah, so I, I agree with you. I think you had some really good examples there. And I think it's also a testament to the value of, of building strong, mutually beneficial uh, relationships from a tech innovation perspective, just as you talked about between the three-way between Zebra, Aruba, and, and Google. And I think that as you kind of collace that, it opens up new value and new use cases that we can drive those outcomes we were talking about earlier. Uh, such as, you know, deriving location for different use cases around the patient experience, you know, bringing that that bedside manner, a retail store experience where you can have uh, those different interjections to have a heightened customer experience. I, I think that really brings those mutual beneficial relationships really to the point of demand. And I think as, you know, our talented uh, CTO, Tom Bean Cooley, spoke on a podcast last year, which you know very well, Sean. Um, you know, we're using Google Cloud um, solutions and services to better position ourselves to innovate in areas such as enterprise mobility, uh, which you are acutely aware of, uh, artificial intelligence, which you spoke about quite eloquently, RFID, which uh, seems to be just connecting everything uh, these days in, in a very ubiquitous manner that's opening up very good value there. And I think even the cloud. Uh, and as you think about those as win-wins for our joint customers, uh, whether it's between Google and ourselves, with between Google, Aruba, and, and Zebra, it's really bringing that joint value to our joint customers and, and really bringing that value back to the customers. And in fact, you know, we were very honored because Zebra was named as the Google Cloud Customer of the Year 
which we are extremely happy about and, and just kind of proves out that uh, that long tenured relationship that we have, that we continue to drive collaboration and innovation together. That's a great point, Drew. I know there's been increased demand for things such as augmented reality assistance as business leaders are trying to make certain jobs easier for workers. This could potentially help with recruitment as well as inject greater efficiency into operations. Are you finding that as more companies move to the cloud, bringing these experiences online becomes easier? We've been talking about the benefits of AR for years, so I'm curious if this is a scenario in which the cloud is becoming that catalyst for rapid adoption. Drew, maybe we could start with you on this one. Yeah, a AR is a growing category for us, right? Um, you know, the relationship between in Google, Android, and us with AR Core, uh, we've been, you know, I think we've gone from proof of concept to testing different, you know, use cases over the last um, five years uh, or, or so to really honing in on some really deployable use cases. Uh, of which I was just a partner uh, this morning and, and we're deploying um, some training AR uh, for folks that are in a retail environment, brick and mortar store, uh, where perhaps they don't have the, the tenure that others have. It's new labor coming into the market. Therefore, they're, they're trying to you know, bring forth and repair something that's in the store. So therefore, an AR model can then pop up on an Android tablet and they can see exactly what they're supposed to do in order to complete that repair without any interjection, without having to escalate into a higher level or look for skilled labor. Now any labor can perform that task because they're now enabled by the AR component that's delivered uh, through that Android experience. And I think that that's one category that, you know, training, repairs, um, you know, having that kind of remote assistance uh, and intelligence at your hand is really becoming deployable model um, in all environments. And that's just one specific to retail. Sean, are you having to make changes to the Android OS to be able to support AR applications? Or could business leaders take a Zebra Android device today, for example, and load an AR app to help guide warehouse or retail store associates with order picking or put away? Yeah, I mean, so first of all, Drew, you mentioned AR Core, and, and we're really have been grateful to have Zebra be a partner in this space going all the way back to 2019. And if I think about the investments that we're making, they sort of fall into two categories, um, the underlying tools to build AR experiences, and then the underlying libraries that run those experiences. So not the operating system itself, but certainly some of the underlying tooling that drives the types of experiences that Drew talked about. Um, let's use building a navigation application as an example. So generally, you're trying to guide a field service worker from point A to point B while they're walking. You probably want to make sure they walk on the sidewalk and not the street. So one thing that we've done recently is like, how do we allow a developer to know what's the sidewalk and not the street, not have to build a custom like tooling to, to differentiate those scenes when you're working outdoors? Um, so at Google I.O., we introduced the Scene Semantics API, which allow, uses artificial intelligence to produce 12 different labels of the common features we see in an outdoor scene, like trees or vehicles or roads and, you guessed it, sidewalks. Um, and so using that kind of information, you put in place AR objects directly on the sidewalk simply by using that simple API. Um, you know, another area where we're kind of trying to combine the knowledge we have about the world and then make that easier for developers to go and build experience against is solving challenges like depth. 
<clears throat> so traditionally, you could use the sensors on, this, on a Zebra device to estimate depth between the user and other objects, physical and virtual within that scene. Now, using the knowledge we have about the world uh, from Google Maps, developers can use the Geospatial Depth API, and that combines the on-device capabilities of a Zebra device along with streetscape geometry data to provide depth estimates of up to 65 meters. Um, that's longer than an American football field. It's eight times longer than when we introduced the API three years ago. Um, and then if you look at sort of indoor applications, we're improving that tooling as well. Uh, one example is in plane finding. So if you try to place an AR object on the floor or on a table uh, to guide a user through training, I kind of want to make sure that that's actually on the floor uh, or on the table, not above or below it. And so using AI, uh, we've improved the error rates for plane detection placing that object on flood service by 52%. So to answer your question more directly, these are all tools that organizations can pick up today. Uh, they've been proven within enterprises, um, and they're even better than when Zebra first introduced AR core support into its devices way back in 2019. Excellent. Sean, what about AI? What role is that playing in the enterprise mobility experience today? So... Certainly, we, uh, we've talked a lot about AI thus far and given some examples around AI improving workflows with Android itself and then as a tool set being applied by customers. I think the thing that I'm concerned about is whether or not organizations have the right maturity model uh, in place, especially around mobile computing, in order to be successful in the application of AI. So let's use financial services as an example, which is kind of a vertical that pioneered a lot of the use of mobility, um, going all the way back to the days of BlackBerry. And in a survey that we commissioned, we found that less than half of financial service professionals had access to internal applications. Less than half could use their mobile device to sell product. Less than a quarter, or just about a quarter, could use a smartphone to log data to a system of record. And another survey commissioned by Bloomberg also found that less than half of financial services professionals had access to internal applications. So. You know, we, we have this saying within Android Enterprise, and Drew has heard me say this before, mobile is the presentation layer to your digital infrastructure. And it's the way that data becomes actionable by people. So if an organization is trying to figure out how to use AI, it's going to be really difficult to connect users to that data and make real-time decisions if those users aren't enabled with the right mobile devices to help them do their job. Um, how are just one way to think about it is just like how are all of these decisions being assisted by AI going to reach the actual person doing the job? How does the store associate get that alert saying, hey, you might need to make a change here, or even the simple call of this customer, this patient, this nurse needs help? Um, and so I think there's a lot of really interesting applications that we can have for AI to solve problems against, but those foundational aspects really need to be put in place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I think you know, as Sean always says, it's it's always the presentation presentation layer for the uh, you know the digital infrastructure, and and I and I totally agree. And I, I think what he just said, uh, you know, I'll boil that back to you know something that that we're very passionate about, which is task interleaving, right, and making sure that you know having the right person doing the right task, but also having that artificial intelligence layer to say, hey, if something comes in at higher priority, whether it's a customer service in a retail setting or you know, there's a patient having difficulty in a different room where that that staff that's needed needs to be assigned that's that's perhaps doing a bedside check with a different patient being rerouted into that higher prioritized room. 
you know, making sure that that's there, right? And that the mobile device, whether it's a tablet, whether it's a, you know, a different modality is, is the one we discussed earlier, it presents that ability to make that decision support in real time, right? So you're making that decision saying, all right, you know, Dr. Jones, you've got to move over to room 313 because now there's a need from a patient that takes higher priority from that. If you didn't have that presentation layer and that, that mobility device, that, that doctor would have to either have a, an overhead page or someone would have to physically go and get Dr. Jones, right? So if you think about that, that presentation layer is critical within that workflow because it could be, you know, a, a medical heightened condition. It could be life or death. And so, you know, having that presentation layer and that task interleaving in order to do that, it's all powered by that full ecosystem, which has that layer of artificial intelligence to bring that decision support into that workflow. So that person then can take the intelligence, make the decision best for what they think it is, but have that as support in order to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Though generative AI is getting all the attention in the media right now. We know that there are many different AI models that could be used in business. We've talked about some of them and many that have been used for several years now to help with everything from forecasting and demand planning to quality control inspections, even worker guidance. So I'm curious where you both think AI could make the most immediate impact today based on where it has proven beneficial in recent years. Drew, starting with you. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. It's uh, whether it's my neighbor, uh, whether it's somebody that's on a plane, you know, everybody's talking about generative AI, right? And and they, they'd like to group everything into artificial intelligence in general. Uh, I think, you know, f- for the most part is here, here's the new news. Artificial intelligence has been around for a long time, right? And, and those models that are applied o- over the data to really, you know, bring forth those different attributes that Sean talked maybe 20 minutes ago about, which is what am I trying to find within this different data set that will be valuable to bring forward in order to drive an outcome and, and bring decision support into a workflow and, and make that more intelligent. And, and that has existed for a while. I mentioned task interleaving before, but you know, an, another company that we acquired was Antuit, which just helps out forecasting for retailers, right? Within the supply chain so that you can order the right amount of uh, white t-shirts for that spring season. Uh, because Sean is typically wearing black. So we know that, hey, perhaps we should suggest a white t-shirt for him. So he mixes it up a little bit. You know, I'm a blue person. So same with me. Maybe I should actually get some more black. So that can be brought into those different forecast models, which is powered by artificial intelligence. So to me, within the enterprise space, it's all about what intelligence I can drive within that specific workflow and what I need to do to to bring those different models, uh, whether it's a language model, whether it's through voice, uh, to, to bring in as, as a collaborator within the workflow, or if I'm trying to drive intelligence in order to bring that decision support that we've been speaking about. So to me, it's applicable AI within the workflow to drive a specific outcome and decision support. Yeah, I mean, I think from my perspective, we've seen all sorts of successful applications from simple workflows like you know using computer vision to read text or translate information so an associate can work better with a customer where, you know, English may may not be their first language or to super complex models. I mean, you know, you talked about demand forecasting, Drew. I mean, we've seen Home Depot go and build models that, uh, custom models that will actually predict in real time whether or not individual SKUs are on the shelf. Um, And what's interesting there is is that the kind of effect of those mobile, those ML applications and mobile devices ends up being really synergistic. Um, in the Home Depot example, when that stock analysis is handled in the cloud, 
the decision to check the stock is given to the store associate. And that store associate helps reinforce the ML model by supplying fresh data from the real world um, back to the clouds as to whether or not that product was, was in stock. I think on the Gen AI front, you know, we're absolutely seeing cases where Gen AI is hitting the enterprise. Um, some of our partners and, and customers are already building applications that allow employees to do what I call kind of Q&A with their documentation um, or the documents generated by the enterprise. You can imagine the combination of field notes and traditional uh, product documentation to let a junior engineer say, hey, I'm standing in front of this washing machine and this there, there's this error code. What do I do to fix it? And they get all the steps to repair right there and then based on sort of the collective history of what's happened inside of that organization or being able to mine notes from past meetings to more easily allow a new employee to get up to speed simply by querying that institutional knowledge. Um, so this, these are all things that are achievable using tool sets like Palm and Vertex AI inside Google Cloud. And, and now is really the time to start experimentation and, and see what organizations come up with. Yeah, and just, just to add on one more thing to that, because Sean, Sean definitely, you know, typically this happens with us, is he, he reminded me, you know, the, the computer and machine vision field, right? I, I think that one is, is, is so uh, applicable right now for investment in the manufacturing space and retail. On the manufacturing space, you know, we're positioned there so that you're grabbing the images for absence and presence so that you're actually having that quality control at the point of manufacture so that you don't have returns. You don't have, you know, if it's in food, you're making sure that there's food safety around it. So you're starting that at the point of manufacturing, whereas, you know, over the last few decades, we've had a lot of uh, spoilages or you've had a lot of defects, or there has been things not included into something. So absence and presence with machine and computer vision around that. So the, the artificial intelligence is hitting that from the start uh, within manufacturing is critical. And obviously we made that acquisition with Matrox and we've got lots of that stuff in the different verticals we play in today, especially manufacturing. And then the second one, which is really big today, uh, is more folks have come back into brick and mortar stores, I think around 76% uh, from our global retail study that we launched last year. As they come back in the store, shrink events happen more and more uh, often now. And, and some of that is driven by uh, some of the new waves and the mega trends around self-checkout and self-service. So using a camera overhead, you can now use machine and computer vision to detect those shrink events and you can develop trust scores around different customers that you have through loyalty apps, which would then again come from that node point that you had before, which is that, you know, that continuous uh, mobile device that you may have, whether it's with the worker or with its with the customer. Now you can use machine and computer vision to detect shrink events, which will help retailers bottom lines at the end of the day. So then as people come back into brick and mortars, which is more profitable versus e-commerce these days, detecting those shrink events and having prevent them, whether it's the, the customer or the worker, is going to be critical. A machine and computer vision instilled with AI can help detect those and at the end of the day, bring those shrink events down uh, to a smaller percentage. Drew, mm -hmm. are there AI applications you feel business leaders aren't paying enough attention to today? Yeah, I think I think I named two of them right there, right? Uh, I think, you know, if you think about manufacturing, I think that, you know, the more things that we can get right done at the point of manufacturing are, are, are going to be critical, right? And I also think that as you think about um, return cycles, uh, so when there are returns, whether it's in fast fashion or, um, you know, uh, food control or anything like that, having the product recognition 
um, capabilities, especially, you know, as we're partnered with, with Google and GCP on that, you know, you think about product recognition and having it, uh, artificial intelligence layered on top of that, you've got several use cases that are at the point of sale, but you also have the point of return, making sure that that's the same good that they bought in the store. So whether it's a luxury good or whether it's, um, you know, a brand new blazer, making sure that it's not a counterfeit good on the way back in, you can use that product recognition uh, powered by artificial intelligence in order to detect those things and, br and bring those things down. So you can secure the supply chain from a good return, full life cycle management and make sure that, you know, once that good is established as good today, most most return uh, processes today are handled by the human eye with the human touch. Uh, I would see that machine and computer vision will take over that that task so that it will allow the labor to do other tasks within that environment and make sure that, you know, they can make a decision versus subjectivity based upon objectivity, based upon the data modeling that's that's layered within that workflow. And I think this is the thing, right? It's like people are so enamored with the latest and greatest. And so they're like, well, I, well, I need to figure out how to apply generative AI to my business. And I think if you listen to kind of the examples Drew and I have been talking about, what we're trying to say is, no, there are business problems you need to solve, like shrink. Is AI a tool set? And it could be much more established, mature models of AI like computer vision um, that can actually drive a ton of value. Even something as simple as like, let's digitize the paper bill of lading that I'm getting from my supplier that's coming into the store and get that data into the cloud such that I can run the analyses on the back of it. Like that could be a really simple project that could drive a bunch more value without having to do those kind of high degree of experimentation around things that are that are really, really brand new. So it's not to say don't use Jet AI. I think Jet AI will absolutely have a place, especially in things like, you know, something like a customer service type tool set um, <clears throat> or, you know, knowledge worker type tool sets for sure. But take a step back and figure out what that business problem is going to be. Sean, what do you say when customers are wary of AI? Either they don't trust it or they fear they don't have the right resources to leverage it without outside consultant or developer support. You know, I, I think the, the, certainly the, the lack of expertise around machine learning is something that a lot of folks do cite as issues. Um, I do think the one thing, and I sort of mentioned this earlier, what we're trying to do here at Google is make the developer tooling a lot easier. So you're not having to go out and build a custom machine learning model in TensorFlow that you're training and then deploying out like in through the cloud or out to mobile devices. Like that's a non-trivial amount of work. But if we can do things like say, ah, I want to use machine learning to estimate shrink. Those are application tool sets that Zebra and Google and others are building today. And you sort of treat that like an API. You're not treating that like, yes, it's using computer machine learning and computer vision on the back end to achieve the goal, but you don't need to be a machine learning expert or a data scientist to put those applications to use. Um, you know, I mentioned sort of tool sets like document test recognition or handwriting recognition or um, you know, things like speech to text and text to speech, like all of those are tools that, yeah, I don't know, five, 10 years ago, you absolutely needed to be a PhD in computer science to pull together. Now they're just API calls built directly into GMS core, built directly into Google cloud, built directly into Zebra's tech stack. And they're just new things that you use, just like going and printing text to the screen. In a Harvard Business Review article published in 2004, a Google exec said there was immense value in its, quote, highly improvisational approach to innovation, end quote. 
Sean, I'm curious you if you and your team still feel that way, given the rate of change happening in the markets Google serves, or do you feel that more controlled innovation is now needed given the sensitivities and scrutiny of everything from security to AI to accessibility? So I think there's a lot of research and development here at Google where we're asking fundamental questions around how can we deliver a 10x solution to a problem? Because even if you fall a little bit short in that journey, you've still made transformational change. Um, and in many cases, those solutions end up being foundational technologies to applications like machine learning or what have you. Um, but those problem statements don't just come from us sitting in Mountain View or here in San Francisco or across the pond in London. It really also means us going to our partners, you know, like Zebra and saying, what are you hearing from your customers? Um, I was super grateful earlier this year to go to HIMSS, the healthcare IT show, be hosted as a part of Zebra's healthcare advisory board. And, you know, I mentioned this idea of location services and the investments we're making to improve accuracy there. When we talked about that at HIMSS, I kind of thought, okay, we're going to get into a huge conversation about asset tracking because that's always been a big deal in healthcare. Uh, lots of specialized equipment, you know, gets put somewhere and then people can't find it to, to help patients. But what we actually started down a topic of is a conversation around how to improve physical safety and how could we tie in the data between Zebra devices, the Android operating system, the Wi-Fi infrastructure to improve the safety of those nurses. So when we're kind of looking at how to do R&D and investments, we don't always know where those tech innovations are going to lead us, but it's really great to be working hand in hand with partners like Zebra to figure out how to take these innovations, uh, lead, the, lead those together and solve real pain points for our mutual customers. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what do you both see as the next frontier in tech, if there is such a thing? Do you think there's something bigger and more exciting than AI, for example? Or have we reached the point where we just need to optimize and scale the tech we already have via the convergence of mobile technologies, AI, cloud sensors, vision systems, et cetera? Drew, what do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, I, there's a lot of different ways you could answer that. I, I'll answer it in the way that, that, that my perspective is, is when you look at all the combinatorial value of, of those different technologies, I think it's about bringing bringing those worlds together. So if you think about uh, AI, mobility, cloud, uh, and automation, there's so many different point solutions out there today that don't have you know, the interoperability uh, around those different environments. So I think bringing those systems together in a systems point of view that again, and Sean has said it several times, that starts with what's my problem that I'm trying to solve for? What's the outcomes that I'm trying to drive? And then bringing the commentary value around around those different point solutions, um, what they may be, to bring that system to deliver and solve for that problem and drive the outcomes and the value that they want. To me, we, we could spend the next decade doing that. And, and I also think that if I if I think about a space that continues to be leveraged by AI is machine and computer vision, uh, named off several different use cases around retail and manufacturing. I, I think there's an immense amount of open use cases that could be solved today. And I think that some of the partnerships that, you know, we're driving today and Sean had mentioned Arupa earlier that he referenced, I think, you know, bringing, you know, uh, different attributes like location, condition, um, you know, all the EPCIS data uh, that you're going to have, the who, the what, the when, the where, and, and what state it's in are, are all things that can be delivered, um, but they need to be delivered in the workflow and it needs to be in a manner that it's solving a problem. Um, so it's less about 
thinking about what tech I need, but it's more about what's the problem, what's the outcome, and then how do I use those different technology ingredients to deliver on that vision? Yeah, I mean, and to answer that question, maybe a slightly different way, like, because you asked, like, do we need to scale the tech that we have? I think we absolutely need to optimize and scale the tech we have. Because I think the organizations that aren't looking to get the right foundations in place are going to be completely, completely flat-footed when the next technological leap comes. The folks that are struggling on paper are going to have trouble competing. Those that haven't adopted mobile really well are going to, I think, as I discussed, you know, have a trouble uh, getting the most value out of AI. Those who aren't looking to apply the best out of AI are likely going to miss the next thing, right? So these things, these issues, kind of compound upon one another. And that said, I mean, I do think there's all sorts of interesting stuff coming on the horizon. Drew mentioned some of it. I think, you know, on the Google side, we're already seeing research where generative AI functions uh, and, uh, you know, like image generation as an example, so, you know, tools such like Stable Diffusion that are today cloud oriented are actually now executable directly on the mobile device. Uh, we're seeing cases where machine learning technologies at Google, like learn large language models, are being used to improve the application of robotics. So allowing robots to more easily interact with the physical world and do so more reliably. And let's not even get started about quantum computing because that's its own podcast. So like, I think the whole idea here is, is that like businesses absolutely need to optimize the tech that's in front of them because there's always more coming. And maybe one way to think about that as a surfing analogy, like don't just ride the wave, but maybe stay just a little bit in front of it. I like that. Whenever I hear a customer is struggling with a particular business issue, I feel like there is almost always a technology tool available to help solve that problem. Yet they're not using that tool for whatever reason. I realize some of it could be financially charged, not enough budget to make the investment right now. But short of that, why aren't some of the available tools being rolled out faster? Is it the complexity of making the connections between hardware and software? or mobility solutions and other information systems and edge sensors? Is it a fear of complexity, even when it might be easier than expected with the right resources leading that project? What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I, we sort of talked about this a little bit earlier. I, I still think there's, and Drew, you, you mentioned it as well, like I think there's still not enough projects that start with the user. Like folks get enamored with the technology and because they're technologists, they go looking how to apply it rather than starting with the business problem. and. Like one example is you know, there was a McKinsey podcast I was listening to. They were talking about this really neat digital warehouse solution that got built. And someone in the product review goes, uh, so our users wear gloves? And was the solution glove optimized? No, no, it wasn't. Um, and I think I know, obviously, this is something Zebra talks about all the time. I know our UX teams have talked together about things like glove performance. But the point here is, is that that project was pretty well down the path and nobody thought, oh, how are folks going to use this? Now, it's possible to go to the other extreme too. And a project to digitize paper forms that only focuses on digitizing paper forms kind of might miss the broader efficiencies that can be gained, especially when those Zebra handhelds that could be used to digitize the form could also work as a desktop and handle desktop workflows too. Um, we talked about what that could mean in the clinical environment, starting that journey in the hallway and then over to a nursing station or a quality control station in, factory, in a factory and not losing context where you leave off. So it, digitizing the paper form could be a great catalyst project. It is a core business problem, but like, how do I then 
find the use, use that as an opportunity, I guess, to go and engage with the users and ask, are there other ways we could use this technology to be more efficient? I think it's up to the IT organizations to be aware of the art of the possible and then volunteer the technologies that can drive the 10x improvement that I talked about earlier. Yeah, good point, Sean. I, you know, I always equate this one to, I, I think it was 2011, and I had this CFO come to me. And he said, hey, I've got a budget for IoT. And this was right at the massive hype cycle of IoT, right? Everyone's throwing it around left and right. And, uh, and I said, great. What, what are you thinking? What problems are you trying to solve for? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, I just told my CEO that I've got to spend money on IoT because everybody's talking about it. And I think Sean said it quite eloquently, which is, you know, think about the users and the problems that you're trying to solve for. And I think, you know, the user experience and interfaces are, are something that is sometimes thought as a secondary thought, right? To the first thought, which is, I want to throw technology at it uh, versus, you know, really looking at the workflow. So as an instance, we have a vast partner network, right? Over 10,000 partners. And one of the mega trends we're seeing right now, I mentioned before, uh, which is self-checkout and self-service, right? And we've got some great companies like NCR uh, who are partnered with us, uh, who help enable that uh, workflow. And at the end of the day, you know, those retailers are focused on two things, right? One, to heighten customer service. And number two, they have a labor shortage, right? So they can't man the lanes anymore from that perspective of checkout. So therefore, you know, Sean and myself get to now, you know, enhance that labor experience by ourselves. You know, my, my seven and 11 year old love going through it, the beep it through the Android scanner on the bed, it's going to pop up the product thing. And they always try to hunt for those best deals, right? So they can see that savings line in red, you know, grow from, you know, minus $1 to minus $7. It's always a contest between them. And so therefore, I think that retailers, you know, and through our partner network are starting to open those use cases and solve for them to provide that value jointly across from that perspective. And I think that as more people think less about, you know, what technology do I need or do I sit on the sidelines or do I get ahead of the wave that Sean was talking about and get drilled by, <laughs> by the ocean? Um, you know, I think riding comfortably right behind it and making sure that you're focused on, you know, what you're trying to solve for within a one to three year time period uh, is probably a good way to focus on it and really focus on, you know, what your workers look like if you have customers, what's that customer experience look like? If you're in healthcare realm, what does that you know communication and collaboration strategy look like? What does the patient care trend line look like? You know, those are the things that I would look at when I'm thinking about you know what I'm going to invest in. Mm -hmm. Last question for you both: Are there certain technologies or services you both feel that business leaders and tech buyers should be seriously researching or investing in right now? something that will make business operations more manageable amidst the triple squeeze they're likely experiencing. What should be on their horizon? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we've talked a lot about the various different tools. Um, hopefully, you know, the, the today's podcast gives some folks some ideas and food for thought of, of how to, what that roadmap should look like. I think the intersection of mobile and AI and the new UX applications that can be built through desktop mode, the, the innovative experiences and helpful experiences through augmented reality is really providing a rich toolkit. And, and frankly, is just very different than the mobile of five years ago. So if organizations haven't been thinking about kind of 
what the mobile computing strategy is, if they're still going to the bookshelf and going and like blowing all the dust off of the, the binder of things they looked at the last time they researched it. Now is really the time to kind of take stock of what's there. Uh, and then, you know, take that human focused approach that Drew and I have been talking about earlier, see what needs solving um, and look for ways to apply all this technology to solve those problems. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the, 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 the user experience and the human factors are, are critical components to kind of look at. And I, and I think that, you know, if, if there's one line that, that we didn't stress enough, it's around automation. And there's different level, levels of automation, right? You, you know, you could talk about robotics automation because of the labor shortages and bringing in, you know, different robots to be co-bots with the human workers to perform different tasks, whether that's picking operations within a, a distribution center or, you know, bringing uh, different uh, loads of, of material from one point to the other, uh, delivering that all the way, you know, through the through the simplistic foundational technologies that Sean stressed before, which I completely agree with him on, which is mobility. Mobility is an automation of that workflow, right? You know, don't, don't, don't overthink saying I have to jump straight to robotics because it might be a blend of both, right? Interjecting uh, mobility within that environment is automation, right? And it's being able to enable and bring intelligence into the workers. And then you got kind of the, the in-between space, right? Where you're, you're now, you know, you've got robotics on one side, you've got mobility on the other, and now you've got the intelligence um, through that transport layer of that device that Sean talked about before, whether it's a tablet, whether it's a mobile device, and you're looking at it, and now you're able to, you know, do dynamic tasking and staging of labor. And to me, you know, th those are different ways that I can, you know, one, optimize the labor pool that I have in my different environments today, but also drive the specific outcomes that you went with those those different workflows. So I think that as you think about it, you know, mobility is a automation. I think task interleaving and dynamic staging of labor is another automation. And then you've got robotics automation to be paired with human workers. And I think that you've got to look at what you're in your journey from your different environments that you have today and make sure that you're focused on the problem to drive the outcomes that you want, and then back into that technology. Well, this has been so incredibly insightful. I know I'll be paying close attention to see how things shake out with AI, AR, and the automation of many tasks currently managed by mobile workers. Thank you both for all you're doing to ensure our customers and their employees have the tools they need to respond to all the changes in the world today. We're all doing the best we can, so it's refreshing to see and hear how Google and Zebra are working together to solicit feedback from those on the front lines and come up with tools that they that, that will help them relieve the pressure they're feeling from their customers. So thank you both for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Absolutely. Let's stay in touch. I'd love to hear more about some of the work you're doing around helping users with the problems they're trying to solve for and the impact it has today and tomorrow. Until next time, I'm Therese Van Ryn. Thanks for joining us.